This morning, we're going to go back to the story of Jericho, and we're going to title this message, Stepping Into uh, Victory. Stepping Into Victory, and uh, how do we live a victorious life? How do we live a victorious life? That means, how do we live a blessed life? How do, we have, how do we live an overcoming life? How do we live a life that is built in the peace and the hope and the love of God? How do we live a life that's free from addiction and free from despair and loneliness? Uh, a life that's free from anxiety and shame and fear. That's what I'm talking about. How many people want to live that kind of life? Somebody say amen. You know, Scripture declares uh, that this kind of life is given by the power of God through one person alone. That's Jesus Christ, God's Son. And 1 John 5 says it's by faith in Christ that believers conquer the world. That's the only way this life is available. And what happens when we look at Scripture, it says that knowing Jesus provides peace through life's troubles. Knowing Jesus provides healing for our deepest wounds. And knowing Jesus provides light in the darkest times. And knowing Jesus, and Paul says this, he says, In Christ we become more than conquerors even through tribulation, through distress, through persecution, through hunger, through poverty, through peril, through violence, and even death itself. We become more than conquerors. Because why? Because our Lord Jesus Christ has loved us. Is that not good news? I mean, that's, that's what it's all about. That's why Christ has come, to give you an overcoming life. And so, if you're here this morning, somebody say, Amen. Amen. I want to live a victoriously overcoming life. But here's the thing. This morning, we're going to look at this story of Jericho. And so many times, we look at the initial event. Because, uh, you know, we know that uh, in this fast-paced world, we all see the climax of the story. We all see things happening in somebody's life. And we're like, man, I really want that to happen in my life. Man, I got a dynamic marriage. Or, man, they really got delivered from alcohol or drugs or depression. Or, man, that really, that person got instantaneously healed. And we see that miracle. And we're like, man, that's what I want. In a microwave society, we often just say, I want this quick fix right now. But there's sometimes a process that we have to go through to see God move in our lives. Now, some miracles are instantaneous, but sometimes God has something more for us. And victory is promised in Jesus Christ. And while some miracles can be instantaneous, they often come through the process of following Jesus Christ. Victory is promised, but sometimes there's a process we've got to go through. We're going to talk about the journey to Jericho today. As I begin to study out the story of Jericho, I was intrigued more so how the process of them getting to Jericho, the journey that Israel had to take before they saw victory. Maybe you're here today and you've got something in your life. You're saying, God, I want some victory in this area. I need victory over my mind in this area, over my flesh in this area, over this attitude, or this situation, the circumstance. But sometimes we've been praying so much for God to do something right now on the big side. I want this big thing fixed in my life right now. God, you've got to fix my career. You've got to fix my job. You've got to fix my kids or my marriage. But sometimes there's things God is walking with you through that's going to lead you to victory. All right? So let's look with me in Joshua chapter 6, verse 1. Joshua chapter 6, verse 1. Stepping into victory, the journey to Jericho. All right, so now Jericho was tightly shut because of the sons of Israel. No one went in and no one came out. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand. 
with its king and the valiant warriors. You shall march around the city, all the men of war, circling the city once. You shall do so for six days. Also, seven priests shall carry seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. Then on the seventh day, you'll march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall be that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down. Everybody say will. The wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people will go up every man straight ahead. So Moses has passed away and led the Israelites through 40 years in the wilderness. And now God has elected a man named Joshua to lead these, this new generation of Israelites. The old generation, the ones who had seen Egypt and one who had come across the Red Sea and God do miraculous things, uh, they had all died off. And God had allowed that generation to die off. And now a new generation is about to decide, can I go with God on the next leg of this journey? Are we ready to do that? And they come to the edge of the Jordan River. They're on, still in the wilderness side. And the promised land, the land of Israel, the future land of Israel, is just across the uh, very flooded Jordan River. And they, they're there. They're camped out there. And Joshua is receiving from the Lord. And now across this Jordan River, across a plain, is a place, a city called Jericho. Jericho is one of the oldest cities in the world. And Jericho had been an ancient city even at that day. And so Jericho, we believe, uh, it's got many layers on it now. We really don't know a lot about the ancient city at this time. But we know this. It was at the peak of its uh, uh, prosperity. In the, in the history of Jericho, it was at its highest. It was probably on a 70-foot mound, walled, fortified around. Uh, and it had kings and valiant warriors and tombs. And, and this, this city has just been, it's got its traditions, its festivals, it's got its people. Probably on a 10-acre uh, track, okay? And, and so they, they come up against this city. And now Israel is just some peasants, some farmers. They've got their warriors. But really, compared to this established fortress that has withstood the centuries and the centuries, this is the entrance to the promised land. And Jericho stands in the way. You know, sometimes there are things that are standing between us and the promises of God. You feel like, man, my peace is just on the other side of that. My laughter, my joy, my patience, my, my blessing, my prosperity, my, the best marriage I'm ever going to have, or my kids coming to serve the Lord. There's so, oh, I see the blessing, but there's something right here. If it would just get out of the way, then we could have victory. Anybody know what I'm talking about this morning? Sometimes there are things that just seem like a wall between us and the blessings of God. And that's where Israel found themselves. What's standing between you and the promises of God in your life? The promises where Christ says, I'm going to make you more than conquerors through tribulation, distress, persecution, hunger, poverty, with that life that is peace and the hope and the love, that life that's free from addiction and depression and loneliness and shame and fear, that kind of life. What's standing between you and that kind of life this morning? In the Christian life, we're all going to face many Jerichos. But if we would just keep in step, everybody say step. If we just keep in step with Christ, we'll know that he's leading us to the promise, okay? I'm going to give you seven steps to Jericho this morning. There were seven steps that Israel took with God to get to the place of victory. And it's the process of the promise. It's the journey to Jericho. Step one is this. Choose. 
Step one is choose. And this is the process for every single Christian. And you'll find this is uh, the parallel uh, is uncanny. God and his sovereignty had this plan. And I believe the plan that led to victory in Jericho is the same plan that God has for every single Christian in the church today. And the step one is choose. Choose. God promises Joshua in this moment, and he says, okay, in Joshua chapter 1, verse 4, he's promising, he says, I'm going to give you this land. I'm promising you this land. But there was a decision that had to be made. And there was a decision that would require a new step of faith for this, this new congregation of believers, of followers of God. And they had to believe that the journey was going to be worth it. You know, I think sometimes we stop early on uh, in our Christian walk, because we don't really understand the full blessings of God. I think so many people in the world, if I could just say, hey, if I could just open your mind to understand how good God is, you would leave what you're trying right now. If you could just see what I've seen and believe what I believe, how awesome it is what God has in store for us. The Bible says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has in store for those that uh, he loves and is called according to his purpose, that we love God. And if it's like there's this greatness over here, how many people believe heaven's going to be a great place? Right. And so that belief propels me forward. Israel had to believe that the journey was going to be worth it. And God begins this journey, says, hey, I've got this promise. I'm going to give you this land flowing with milk and honey. Do you know that when I was a kid growing up in church, I really believed it was a land flowing with milk and honey? Anybody else just be honest and say, I thought there was rivers of milk and honey in, in Israel. I really did. But then I got older, and I'm like, okay, that's a metaphor for a prosperous, prosperous, fruitful land. All right? So I'm clarifying that up. If you're like me, you don't have to be embarrassed. Um, so he's saying, hey, I want you to take you here. I want to take you to a new place. But here's the deal. God, there's this big flooded river in front of us. There's this camp here. There's all kinds of giants in the land. I don't think we can do this on our own. And God speaks to Joshua in chapter 1, verse 16, and uh, Joshua chapter 1, verse 4, and so, but I've promised this to you. And so Joshua and the people have to choose. In fact, there was two and a half tribes that were on the fence. They said, well, can we really just stay here uh, in this land on this side? And Joshua encourages them, and he speaks to them, and he challenges them, and finally they get to this place of decision. There's most important decision in every believer's life, and that's the decision to go all in with God. They speak to Joshua in chapter 1, verse 16, and say, All that you have commanded us, we will do, and wherever you send us, we will go. That's the first thing every believer has to say to Jesus Christ. Yes, Lord, where you go, I go. What you say, I say. I give up my life, I take up my cross, and I follow you. The first step is choose. Everybody, amen. First step is choose. Now look at this. And then Joshua says to the people in Joshua 3, 5, if you, you should consecrate yourself, that is, set yourself apart, because tomorrow God is about to do some wonders among you. To have victory in the Christian life, the first step is to go all in. It is a radical choice, a commitment that there is no going back. I'm believing in the promise of God is better. My tomorrow is better than my today with God. I believe that. And so it is worth the sacrifice. It's worth the surrender because the blessing is so much better. Amen. And what Jesus says to us today in Luke chapter 14, verse 31, he says, think about this. What king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 to encounter and go up against the one coming against him with 20,000? I don't know about you, but the odds on that is not very good. 
me and my 10,000 troops going up against 20,000 troops. Israel going up against a Jericho. Israel going up against giants. You and I going up against oppression and loneliness. Going against a world that hates Jesus. We've got opposition to drugs and alcohol. We've got opposition to loneliness and suicide and despair. We've got opposition from our family who don't want to go uh, with us in the things of God. There's all kinds of opposition. You and I think, I'm just one person. I can't do this on my own. And that's exactly right. You can't. I never really got that verse really into this week's studying. He says, what king would ever consider with 10,000 to go up against a king with 20,000? A crazy one, right? One who really had some, something wrong in his head or one who knew that greater who is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Amen. You've got to choose to believe God has promised me something great and God is going to go with you. And God begins to tell Joshua from the very beginning, I will give you every place your foot treads. Do you believe that me and my little 10,000 men versus the world's 20,000 men, I don't have it what it takes But I choose to believe the promise of God. I choose to go all in. And I choose to know even if the odds are stacked against me, God, I can't change the way I think. God, I can't change the way I speak. God, I can't stop sinning on my own. God, I can't fix my family. God, I can't fix my finances. And that's right. You can't. But God says, if you just go all in with me, I'll be with you every step of the way. Amen? Amen. First step is choose. It's a radical choice, a radical commitment. Number two, the second step towards victory is this. Baptism. Baptism. Look at this. Israel, they begin to say, okay, God, we're going all in. And Joshua begins to lead the way. And the presence of God in the Ark of the Covenant goes ahead of him. And as soon as the feet of the priests touch the waters of the muddy, flooded Jordan River, the waters at a great distance away begin to stand straight up. And all those waters flood and they dry out. And the priests go down into the, uh, the rocky uh, part of the Jordan River and they begin to stand there. And it allows all the Israelites to pass on dry land. What does that mean for you and I today? That day, Israelite, these Israelites had an encounter from God on their own. They had heard of generations before who had seen God part the Red Sea with Moses and his staff. You know, you see Charlton Heston on the, you know, uh, the big screen, right? Uh, But from them, they'd never seen that. But for them, now God was mighty and personal in their life. And what God had done before, he had done again. Right. And every Christian is the same way. You and I have to understand and encounter God in a spiritual way that Israel had to understand, hey, God did for my grandma and my grandpa and he's doing it again in my life. And as real as God was for those people, I've seen these great saints of God. Now, God has got to be personal and real to me. And just as Israel could not have crossed that river alone without God's help, so too you and I cannot enter this relationship with God on our own either. There's this great water, this great separation that divides all of us from the victory and the promises of God. And it's this great dividing place, this great wall of living in the flesh versus living in the spirit. But let me tell you this, you cannot enter this Christian life on your own. Now, water baptism is a great symbol of what Jesus uh, uh, said for us today. Israel, in a sense, Paul says, was baptized into the water. And on the other side, they came back up fresh and new. They entered, left the old life, and they began a new journey with God. So too, you and I today, we leave our old life behind. We deny ourselves. We die to the old man, Paul would say, and we go down into the waters of baptism with Christ, 
and who are raised up again to new life and living now in the Spirit. That's what baptism means. But let me tell you this. The water itself is nothing special. In fact, the water we put in our uh, water baptism uh, tank today is water out of the water hose. Now, let me tell you, that's not special water, right? And it's not Pastor Heath that's special. It's not Pastor Heath who dunks somebody or prays a prayer over them or says some special words over them. What's special is that just as the Israelites could not have entered into that new place with God on their own, so to I in my life cannot, it's not a magical formula, it's not physical water, it's not the man speaking over me. It is a radical encounter with God that by the Spirit I'm born again into new life. Water baptism is a great symbol of what God has done for Israelites and also for us, the church. It symbolizes the next step that I die and I come to new life. I'm born again by the Spirit. Jesus says, truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. I tell you, that is the same thing. It's the water of the washing of the Holy Spirit. I believe in baptism. Jesus commands baptism. But let me tell you today, it's not about the water. Water is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And it is the birth that happens in my heart, the newness that I cannot enter this Christian life on my own efforts. I cannot enter this Christian life on my own works. I cannot enter this Christian life on my own decision or or even on my own trials because that's like me and you trying to swim across the Jordan River. I need the Spirit to part the waters and provide the way for me to walk with God. Amen? You understand today? And God would speak to Joshua in Joshua chapter 5, verse 9. He says, Joshua, now I have rolled away the shame of Egypt. You see, I can't take my own shame away. I can't change Heath Harris's mind. I can't take the fear out of my heart. God had to remake Israel. And he says, because you followed my presence through the waters, now I've rolled away your shame of your previous life and the previous generations. Now let's start over. It's a new journey. Christianity is a new journey with God. Your old life goes away, your old shame, your old regrets, all that stuff passes away. And by the Spirit of God, if you follow the Spirit of God into death, He'll remake you in a new life. Amen? So choose is number one. Number two is baptism. It's a spiritual baptism. Number three is surrender. So they get onto the other side, and they're getting ready. Okay, now, I don't know about you, but okay, all right, hey, man, God just did this crazy, awesome miracle, and it is time for go. It is, let's fight. I mean, because here we are. Got swords in hand. God's part of the waters. Who can stop us now? And God says, hold off just a second. Hold your horses. God speaks to Joshua. He says, Joshua, chapter 5, verse 2. Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise all the men born since Egypt. You say, what? I can imagine the men thinking in that moment, Joshua, what in the world does this have to do with taking on Jericho? This has nothing to do. If anything, it's going to hurt us, right, from, from being able to fight. Because how are we, what if they attack us? What if we go over here? So Joshua heard the voice of the Lord, and they did it. All these guys who had not been circumcised since uh, they came out of Egypt, the old generation had been circumcised, but now all the men of Israel uh, became circumcised. And why is that important? Because in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 4, God had told Moses, he said, Moses, I'm going to raise up a generation after you. And this generation, he says, I, the Lord God, will circumcise their hearts and the hearts of their descendants, and I'll, I'll grow in them, I'll, I'll cut away the old things, and I'll rebirth something in them, that they will love the Lord uh, your God with all your heart and all your soul, that they may live. It was the symbol of God's co- uh, covenant. It wasn't just about their skin or their flesh, 
but it was about their hearts. It was a symbolic thing that God would have cut away their old life and has their whole heart, that they would surrender their whole life to him. And many young converts to Christianity start out with a flash. It's like, man, I just got saved. Let's start a street ministry. Day two, let's go out and take the world. And they start out with a flash, and they quickly just fizzle away. It's like this great big firework. And you're like, oh, man, they're going to change the world. Man, look at those young people. And they go, and they're, ah. And then three weeks, six weeks later, I hadn't seen them in church. And so many times I've had that happen. I've you know, pastoring young people and college students for uh, uh, the last decade. Is, is just you see so many excited for God. And it's just a uh, flash in the pan, Brother Ron. It's just, it's just a flash, and it's nothing else. It's a big noise, and it goes away. What God was doing, and it's just, I can imagine, here we are, great miracle, let's go, let's take the city. And God's like, hey, by the way, hold on a second, you've got to go through something painful first. Sometimes God wants to do a work in you before he'll do a work for you. Sometimes God wants to do a work in you before he does a work for you. And what happens is Israel has to wait for three days before they'll go to the next step. You know, sometimes it's good to get along with God and make sure what he's doing in us takes hold. You know, it's all good to hear a sermon. It's good to go to a revival. It's good to go to the altar. But has it taken hold of us? Is God's mark permanent on your life? Is, his, is what he's done is, I am a child of God. It is permanent. There was no undoing circumcision. It was permanent. And the Bible tells us that we are, as a, a believers today, to be circumcised of heart, that we are to wait on the Lord to do a work in us. And Paul says in Galatians 5.24 that those who belong to Christ Jesus, they've crucified the flesh with all of its passions and desires. You know what he says about that? He says, guys, that's things like this. You've got to cut away sexual immorality. You've got to cut out jealousy. You've got to cut out outbursts of anger. You've got to get your anger under control before God moves that Jericho out of your life. You've got to get your selfish ambition a hold of it and cut it away out of your life. You've got to get that rebellion against authority in your heart because you're not following anybody. You don't follow your boss. You don't follow your pastor. God's not going to bless you unless you're doing cutting out uh, that rebellion out of your heart. Maybe it's divisiveness, uh, divisiveness, Paul would say. You're always stirring up contention, and wherever you go, drama follows you. God's never going to bless you, and you're never going to see true victory in your life unless you cut that out of your life. Or maybe it's envy. You always want what your neighbor has or your sisters or your brothers have. You're always jealous of their marriage and their toys and their jobs. You always complain to your family about, I wish I had what they had. And Paul says it's even things like drunkenness and wild parties. There's things from your old life you've got to cut away. Um, you've got to change what they say, that stinking thinking. You've got to get all that stuff and say, God... I'm going to spend some time alone with you. Crucify my heart. Crucify my flesh. Cut away that old man, that old woman of my life, and say, Lord, I've got to have your new attitudes. If you want Christ's victory, our sin nature must be replaced with his nature. If you want his victory, your sin nature must be replaced with his nature. And maybe we're lacking victory today. Because our heart is not circumcised with God. And maybe God wants to take you to a place where he gets alone and he's going to do some things that might hurt a little bit. Say, so you know what? Your attitude really is not what I want and I can't use you until I get it in the right place. Your tongue is not really what I want 
and I need you to cut it out. I need you to spiritually I remove that, that lying spirit, that gossiping spirit, that slanderous spirit. I need you to take those desires you have from material possessions. You always want more. You're never satisfied with what you have. You're, you're looking to the world for affirmation. You're looking to a guy or a girl for affirmation. You're not, my identity in you is not permanent. There might be something you come up against. If I would send you to Jericho right now, you might turn away. If there was an obstacle in your life, you might falter. You might fail. You are not, you are not ready to stand against the things that I have to stand against you for. The things are coming up that you're going to stand against uh, because it's not permanent. When we become a Christian, I not only choose radical commitment, not only do I enter into a spiritual baptism with God, but I must completely surrender. And it may take some time. It may take that three days of healing before God takes you to the next place. So sometimes it's not so much about being in a hurry with God. Let God's identity be permanent on you. No going back. There used to be a song about that. No turning back. No turning back. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. There was no turning back from God's mark on their life. All right. Go on to the step four. All of this has led up to Jericho. Isn't that amazing? All of this has led up to Jericho. Step four is communion. Step four is communion. It just so happened that God ordained that it would be the next day, after their three days of healing, it would be the 14th of that month. And on the 14th of that month was a special day. It was a day of Passover in the desert plains of Jericho. Here they are. Opposition is just over the ridge. They are there. They just got, uh, saw God's baptism. They just uh, were circumcised of heart. And, and they have healed for three days. And on that day of rest, God calls them to celebrate Passover. And on Passover, what does that mean? They were remembering the first lamb that was slain from, uh, from their deliverance in Egypt. And that first lamb provided their deliverance. But every lamb after that would apply the blood continually to the homes and the hearts of the people of Israel. And what does that mean? It means that they continually needed to be under the blood to have fellowship with God. And God was reminding them and calling them to remember and saying, Hey, before I give you victory, you've got to be under the blood. Before I give you victory, you have to continually apply the blood of my deliverance upon your heart. It is to remind them and saying, God... It was by we alone are sinners. We alone cannot deliver ourselves. We look to you, our God. We remember, God, it was you who brought us thus far. As a believer, man, we've got to do that continually. God, it is you who have brought me thus far. It is you, O oh Lord. You saved me from day one, and it's continually after that, Lord, I continually need the blood of Jesus applied to my life. I cannot face Jericho on my own. Lord, I want you to be choosing you. God, I need to come to the waters of baptism. And Lord, I need to be in constant communion with Jesus Christ. I need the continual blood of Jesus on my life. How many know that's true? Say Amen. The blood of the Lamb provides you continued fellowship with God, lest you go at it alone. Christ is the true Passover Lamb, and Christ for us, the church today, commands something we call the Lord's Supper or, or Holy Communion. But communion is more than crackers and juice. Just as the Lamb was more than a physical Lamb, it represents the personal worship in the corporate fellowship of the body of Christ. It means that we as Christians, we continually remember Jesus Christ is our source of victory. And here to look at look a little further in, in Joshua, 
chapter 5, verse 13. What happens? Joshua takes communion together, and they, they have this great celebration. They remember the lamb. They remember to apply the blood to their lives. And they, he, Joshua goes out, and the Bible uh, says he goes out to Jericho, and he begins to look towards Jericho. No doubt, I believe, Joshua went out the day after worship and praying and having communion with God as the leader of Israel, goes out to survey all the people are behind him. He goes out alone, and he begins to look towards the west at the battle that's going to be ahead. And in that moment, it could have been a fearful moment. God, I know you've taken us thus far, but Lord, I'm looking, and this is the, the place you're about. This is the obstacle. This is the obstacle to the promise of God. And he begins to pray. And in that moment, the Bible says he saw a man. And he saw a man with a sword in his hand. And he begins to bow down. And he asks who he is. Are you for me or are you against me? Because Joshua's saying, this is a dude from Jericho. Here we go. We're ready. We're starting to fight already. He said, are you for me or against me? And he says, I'm the captain of the Lord of hosts, armies. And Joshua, you know, bows down and he says, take off your shoes because this is holy ground. It's same thing like Moses in the burning bush, the same kind of a thing, right? God's kind of doing this over again with Joshua. And so he takes off his shoes and begins to bow down. And, then, and the, some translations would say it was the angel of the Lord. Oftentimes, when we talk about the angel of the Lord, some people and some scholars would tell you that it's often a, a, a foreshadow of Jesus Christ himself. Abraham talked to a man as God when he was uh, before Sodom and Gomorrah. Jacob wrestled with a man in night and day, and he did not let him go, hurt his hip, right? A lot of times we, would, we can interpret that spiritually as a representation of Jesus Christ. So let's just say it this way. Sometimes when you and I are about up against our Jericho, it's times of personal worship. It's time of personal communion with God, not just juice and crackers, but it's time where we say, God, I need the blood of the lamb in my life. And we begin to devote ourselves to prayer. And we go out and we, we look at what we're up against. We just begin to cry out to God. And it's that time of communion that allows us fresh revelation of Jesus Christ. Joshua had fresh revelation of who God was, that God is on my side. God is going with me. God is for me, not against me. And as I step out in faith, I know that God is hovering over me, and I know that God is watching out for me. And say, maybe that's true for you today. There's things in your life, and there's things that are separating you from the promise of God. There's promises that God has for you in your life. You say, God, I need a fresh revelation of who Jesus is in my life. God, I need to apply the blood. And Lord, just reveal to me. God, give me a word. God, give me a, uh, an inkling that you're there. Anybody ever been to that place? You just say, I don't hear you anymore. I need, I need something. Man, God's such a good God. Then when you're desperate in prayer and you say, Lord, I know it's Jesus that I really need. He is sure to come. And look what Jesus says in, in John chapter 14, verse 21. Or sorry, uh, John chapter 14, uh, yeah, verse 21. It says, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And, in, uh, and, sorry, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and disclose or reveal myself to him. What's that saying? Jesus is promised. As you begin to commune with him and the Father, he will continually reveal himself to you. That's his promise. I'll not leave you alone. Never leave you nor forsake you. If you're alone today... You feel like you're fighting your battles alone. You feel like you're up against something bigger than you. Get in communion with God. He's promised you victory. He's promised you a new revelation. And so all you have to do is ask and seek it. Amen? How many think that's good? Amen. Communion number five is this, obedience. 
Number five is obedience. So we've got baptism, surrender, communion. And God leads them in number, number five to obedience. Again, we just think, man, it's just about going up against Jericho, taking down the walls. Man, God's going to do it. It's awesome. No, oh, there's this process that they had to go through. It was obedience. God told Joshua in step five, he says, hey, if you want to have success, he tells him this at the very beginning before they begin the journey. If you want to have success, you have to do this. Success is going to come because the word of God is not going to depart from your mouth and you should meditate on it day and night and you should be careful to do all that is written. Joshua 1, 8. So Joshua has this in mind. God says our success relies on obeying and hearing and meditating on his word. Man, if so many Christians would just do that today, if I would just know his word, you know, the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses know their Bible better than most Christians today. So many uh, Muslims today know their, their Quran better than most Christians know the Bible. It's a sad state of the American church. And he says, Joshua, if you just hold on to my word, if you just know my word, if you be careful to follow my word, success will follow you. And so when Joshua hears the voice of the Lord now on the plains of Jericho, sees the captain of the host of the heavenly armies, Joshua hears the voice from God and says, Joshua, I'm giving you the city. Here's the plan, bud. Here's what you got to do. Go around that city every day. You're going to have the priest blow the horn. Once a day for six days, you're going to take your people. It's about an hour march. You're going to go around that city once. And the whole time, no one's to say a single word. You know, that'd be hard for a lot of people. Nobody's going to say a single word. That's very important. You're going to go around that city once, and they're going to blow the horn continually over and over and over again. You're going to make it once. You're going to make it an hour trip. All right? And you're going to do that. And on the seventh day, you're going to go around it seven times blowing the horn. But then the priests are going to give a long blow, and then you're going to shout, and the walls are going to come down. All right? You got it? Good. Okay, now go do it. And then when Joshua heard that, he tells the people, and look in chapter 6, verse 8. I love this phrase. Chapter 6, verse 8, the end of the verse, it says, And Joshua tells the people the plan, and it was so. There wasn't a contentiousness. There wasn't a, well, you sure, Joshua, that's what he said? Or maybe, maybe we should talk about this or try that. Or it wasn't maybe, you know, three rows back. Somebody's talking back there, Joshua. We're walking around the city. I can hear somebody. Nobody said a word. They said, let's do it. God said it. Let's do it. It's that simple. Everybody's mouth was shut because they wanted victory. Man, if we could just take Scripture that serious today and just say, oh, God says it, that settles it, let's do it. Man, Lord, this is the plan to victory. God gave us a plan for promise. He gave us exactly how to get from A to B, to go from hell to heaven, to have uh, uh, get out of darkness and into light and go into the peace and the presence of God, out of the uh, despair and loneliness of this world. And all I got to do is follow God's plan and keep my mouth shut. Sometimes I need to just... Get out of my words and get into his word. Am I speaking forth the word of God? There's a lot of things we just, oh, woe is me. I don't know if I can handle it. I don't. That's not what God's word says. God says greater, than he, greater is he who is in me than in the world. God says that I am more than conqueror in Jesus Christ. There are things that we've got to uh, shut our mouths to and begin to speak forth the word of God. Amen. Amen. Obedience. Real victory comes as we know and obey the word of God. Are we in our Bibles on a daily basis? 
Are we memorizing Scripture? Are we meditating on Scripture? Because the battle plan is in His Word. If you want a better marriage, if you want more well-behaved children, if you want peace and prosperity, if you want healing and the like, do our feet and our mouths follow His plan? That's good right there. Their feet and their mouths had to follow His plan. How's, how's my feet? How's my mouth? How's my heart? Does God's Word come out of my mouth before Heath's word comes out of my mouth? Do I start shouting off things when, when my buttons are pushed? What's coming out of me? When I begin to decide what I'm going to make a decision about, should I buy this truck? Should I buy that car? Should I buy that house? Should I go to this trip? Should I take that vacation? Okay, my feet, Lord. Take my feet, God. Follow you. Let me stay in step every step of the way with Jesus Christ because I want victory, most importantly, in my life. I want my family to have victory, live an overcoming life. I want to be a victorious believer in Jesus Christ. And I don't want to be, while God is taking a people around a lap of victory, and I'm going, what in the world is going on? Why are these all people so quiet? I'm thinking about, okay, I want victory, yeah, but then we're kind of going this way, and we kind of go that way, and we're talking about other people and all this kind of stuff. No, Lord, keep my mind on you, Lord. Keep my heart, my hands, my feet on you, Lord. Jesus says, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. Number six is this, fast and pray. Fast and pray. From a human perspective, the only way to check Jericho is this way. Man, you either had to have a really tall ladder, right? You either had to get something really big and ram the wall. You either had to dig a tunnel underneath it, or you had to trick them like the Trojan horse or something and get them to come out and face you out in open field, all right? Because they're walled in. Ain't no way you're going to take these people unless you get real creative. And so many times in our lives, we just think, well, if I just go to the right counselor, if I just try this parenting book, if I just do it this way and get this financial help book, if I just take that class, if I just had the, the job they had, if I just had the spouse they had, if I just would do this or do that, if I just watched enough of, you know, daytime TV, then my life would feel how much better enough Dr. Phil. You know, we, all this stuff the world contrives to have victory, build a taller ladder, dig a deeper hole, get something bigger, and try this new technology to break through the walls that you can get through. And God's saying, no, 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 no. I got a plan. I got a plan. What's that plan? You don't need to do nothing. You just need to listen to me. What are we doing? You're going to walk around it a bunch of times and keep your mouth shut. God, that doesn't make any sense. Joshua, are you sure you heard God right? Because we really, we got this battering ram we've been building. we got this catapult we're going to try, this new thing. And Lord, uh, we got this real good general over here. He's had a bunch of victories before. Let's go listen to him. No, no, no. God said, shut your mouth. Walk around it a bunch of times. What? What are you, what are you thinking, Joshua? This is, this is no way that anybody's ever won victory this way before. You know what the world's going to say about you too? What's prayer going to do about your situation? You mean read your Bible? Go to church, you're wasting your time. If you just do this, get rid of that guy, get rid of that girl, just try this thing. Try something new on for a change. Go get your hair done, you'll feel better about yourself. Go get your nails done. It'll, it'll all feel better if you just do all these things. You know, I'm going to pray. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to fast. I'm going to start some spiritual warfare for this situation in my life. You know what was happening? They're walking around that wall. You know what I believe was happening? They're being quiet. They were waiting on heaven's armies. Heaven's armies would begin walking around that wall with them. The presence of God began to encircle that city. Every day, you know the terror that began in that town? The Bible says that the hearts of Jericho began to melt. 
Because can you imagine, you're there all day, every day. You're in Jericho. Your whole, your whole life is walled in. And all of a sudden you hear, for an hour every day. And you hear this, you just see, you just hear the feet of a million people, you know, just circling your town. And then just the dread of the Lord comes over you. And then they disappear. Whole day later comes by. And for an hour, they walk around. They do this for six days. Don't you know you'd be freaking out? Like, what in the world is going on? And that's how God begins to work in your situation. When you let the presence of God begin to encircle your enemy, when you let the presence of God, you know what Jesus says? Let me handle your revenge. Let me, let the presence of God heap burning coals over their head. When they're slandering you, you bless them. You pray for your enemies. Let me begin to encircle with my angelic armies and my hosts. Let me see what's going to happen. You just say, set back. All right, God, I'm just going to pray. I'm going to fast. I'm going to do some spiritual warfare. The Bible says that as believers, you know what we're supposed to do? Leave our way the worldly plans and the worldly schemes, our own plans, our own devices. It says we are to walk by faith and not by sight. We are to walk in the Spirit because why? There is no victory without faith. There's no victory unless we're walking in the Spirit. It's sometimes very humbling to walk quietly with our sword still sheathed. We think, God, I, I got to help you fix this. I got to really help you fix this. This is a problem. I need to really get involved in their life and help them, Lord. And we just, nope, keep your sword in its holster. Keep your mouth shut. You just begin to pray. But God, that, but, but there's a deadline here, God. Nope, just keep walking. Just keep walking. Let me, I'm doing something you can't even see. I believe in that moment that there was angels and demons above that, that, that town began to fight. I believe there was things going on in the spirit we can't even begin to see. There was fighting going on that six days. Why? Because the presence of God began to be encircled around that town. And the faith of the people began to get built up. Their faith began to get more and more and more. You, for some of us, though, it would kind of be a worrying moment. God, I, it's been six days. Nothing's happened. Six days, nothing happened. That's not what happened with Israel, though. The Bible tells us in Hebrews that it was faith that caused the walls of Jericho to fall after being encircled for seven days. Instead, because they begin, in my, my opinion, this spiritually means they begin to fast and pray. And as we begin to fast and pray and put spiritual armor on first, Ephesians says that we're not warring against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and all the forces of darkness and evil, all these wickedness in heavenly places. We're fighting against spiritual things. As we begin to put on spiritual armor and fast and pray and do the first battle in the prayer closet, God begins to work in the heavenlies for our situation. And God begins to not only, uh, our doubt doesn't, uh, our doubt begins to diminish and our faith begins to increase. And instead of where the world doesn't say, look, it's been six days. You've been trying this forever. You might as well just give up on him, honey, or give up on her, sir. Uh, You need to move on and try this thing on. Man, our faith begins to increase. We say, you know what? God is for me. He's not against me. God is on my side. I got a fresh revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, there's no turning back for me. I've got a new birth in my heart. I've got deeper communion with Jesus than I ever had before. And God is about to do something in my life. Somebody say amen. amen. John Wesley said it this way. He says, have you any days recently? Have you any days of fasting and prayer? Storm the throne of grace and persevere therein and mercy will come down. Storm the throne of grace with your fasting and prayer. Persevere therein, and mercy will come down. Don't you know, when they were ready and God had his, uh, his sovereignty, man, heaven began to come down in that place. How are you walking in your Christian life today? It's a spiritual walk. We try not to build better ladders. 
better battering rams, dig a hole out of our situation, or saying, God, I'm going to you. I'm walking by faith. I'm walking in the Spirit. I'm fighting spiritual warfare. And Jesus even said it this way in Matthew 17. He says, you know, there are some spiritual forces, some demonic forces that only are cast out, only removed by prayer and fasting. There are some things in your life that may not actually change unless you get on your knees and pray and fast. We don't like to fast in America. It's not a practice very many people do. But Jesus said there are some things will not not be cast down without prayer and fasting. That's what I believe they were doing those six days. Number seven, last leg. Here we are. Praise. Praise. You could title this one the fight of faith. I'll wrap it up with this one. On seventh day at dawn, they marched seven times around. It's seven hours of walking, y'all. Seven hours of walking. They begin to walk. Seven hours, blowing those trumpets. Don't you know they were tired? Don't you know those priests were tired? But man, the excitement began to build. And Joshua says, now shout! And the Lord has given you this city. And when they shouted, the walls fell flat. And the Bible says, every man went straight ahead and they took the city. It was a shout and a sword. It was praise. It was a shout of praise because we know our God has been fighting for us for six days. And he says, now is the time. Take the city. They followed God through the process, and He provided the promise. But you know, it was easier than doing it on their own, but there were still some things they had to do. This is what I think about Jericho. It wasn't without work. Man, it was so much easier than trying to batter that gate down on their own. But their victory involved this. Look at the process. It involves some pain, some cutting away. It involves some prayers and fasting. It involves some patience and waiting on the word of God. And then it involves some praise. You know, after seven hours of walking and six days of waiting, they had to have the energy still to shout. They had to have the muster to worship God. And maybe in your life, in your situation, you say, God, I've been six days. It's been a season in my life. There's been no movement, no progress. There's no, being prog- no progress in my life. But God is saying, do you still have the faith to praise me when I say it's time to praise And not only that, they had to have the energy to praise, but they still had to take the city. You see, the walls came down, but it wasn't over yet. Sometimes we think, all right, God, you you fix it. You do it all, God. And God's going to do the biggest part. He's going to do the main part that you can't do yourself. But they still had to go through the wall and begin to fight people. You know what? When they fought people, not a single Israelite was harmed, nor hurt, nor killed. They had total victory. But they still had to shout, and they still had to take out their sword. You know that? We think, God, yay, the walls fell down. Hallelujah, let's go home. No, 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 no. There's still some fighting to do. There's still some praise. You know what? Praise really is one of the biggest battles. Because at the end of where I'm the weakest, and I've been trying, and I've been going through this process, I've been patient on God, he wants to know, do you still have the energy left, the strength left, the faith left to fight through praise? And as you begin to fight through praise... You begin to do the battle on your part. It's kind of like this. In a marriage, we can begin to pray for our spouse. And we can begin to, God, do a work on their heart. Do a work on their heart. Let me say something. After God begins to do a work and you see that working on them, if you don't ever go buy flowers, you don't ever go on a date night, you don't ever tell them you love them, you're not doing your part. Right? That's how that works. God's going to do his part, but we still got to do our part. There's some things that we still got to go back and say, God, I'm still applying the blood. I'm still obeying your word. God, I'm still loving other people. But God, I need you to do your part. And Lord, I'll do my part. Timothy 
Paul says to Timothy, he says, fight the good fight of faith. If you fight the good fight of faith, the walls will come down and God will grant you the victory. Hebrews 11 tells it this way, and I close. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after being encircled for seven days. By faith, then, Rahab the harlot did not perish with disobedience, for she had received the spies in peace. What's the result of all this process? Even the broken, the outcasts, the lost, the no good get saved when you get the victory. Not just about your victory. God was able to save a prostitute out of that city because she believed the report of the Lord. Who's going to get saved through your process and your promise? God has somebody in store that maybe you're not even concerned about, you don't even know about. But through your process, receiving your promise, God's got something for you. Amen? Good news is this. Our hope is sure, and no wall can separate you from the promises of God. Amen?